Hi, this is episode number 29 of Highlighting the Best of Youth Sports, brought to you by Numbers Don't Lie Productions. In this interview, we were honored to meet with the best-selling author of Nine Innings of Hitting, Troy Silva. Troy provided a ton of value for coaches, parents, and players navigating the youth sports and baseball journey. Before we get into this episode, please subscribe and help us reach more people by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you'd like to learn more about the services offered by Numbers Don't Lie and how to highlight your athlete's special skills, be sure to visit numbersdontlie.biz. Highlighting the best of youth sports is proudly presented by our national partner, ID Life. ID Life is a health and wellness company that's changing the game with its customized nutrition. Everyone has unique nutritional needs, and ID Life's mission is to offer the highest quality products and programs to help you lead a healthier life. What separates ID Life from other nutritional brands is its 100% free ID assessment that is tailored to your unique health needs. The answers you provide generate a confidential report with scientifically backed supplement recommendations, creating your own customized vitamin program. Just visit the website at numbersdontlie.idlife.com and take the free assessment today. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Highlighting the Best of Youth Sports, where we bring you insights from top athletes, their sports journey, and those positively impacting the youth sports community. If you're ready like we are, let's go. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have former professional baseball player and best-selling author of Nine Innings of Hitting, Troy Silva. Troy, welcome to Highlighting the Best of You Sports. How are you, sir? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Coach, let's start with you taking a few moments to tell us about yourself, your sports background, and how your best-selling book came to be. Well, first of all, I was a T-ball All-American back in 1981. (laughs) I think I never got out. Had my orange mullet hanging out my hat with my big belt buckle and my boots, probably. (laughs) <laughs> um, just kidding. I, I, history, I played college ball at Lewis Clark State, uh, won a national championship there, uh, ended up getting drafted, played about four, like five, six years of uh, pro ball, rehabbed a couple of those, so I don't really consider those real years. Um, played pro ball and then ended up getting hurt and uh, retiring and going right into coaching. So literally got thrown right in the mix of like instruction before Instruction was a thing, really, uh, back in 2002, I think it was, or three. Um, just literally went from, you know, playing pro ball to trying to teach kids. And I was horrible at it, to tell you the truth. So, um, you know, fast forward, I, I, I did a bunch of lessons and coaches and all that kind of stuff. Um, basically, I, I, by the number of, you know, lessons I was doing and the opportunity I had every day to be working with kids and girls softball and you know young kids and pro kids I I literally kind of learned a lot on like how to teach uh, and ended up getting frustrated about what wasn't being taught to kids uh, which led to uh, me having this great idea of how about I write a book on hitting and I'm a moron I'm not very smart Um, (laughs) for whatever reason God's gifted me with the ability to teach hitting and, and, and some other stuff baseball but uh, I was just so mad and frustrated about what I was hearing kids getting, what they weren't getting, what they were being taught, and how it was like detrimental to them. So um, the purpose of the book was to dispel myths and um, kind of expose some of the stuff that was being taught and expose the garbage and really try to give people 
like an honest like opinion, I guess, of, of what needs to be taught and how kids can really improve. So that led to the book. I literally wrote it in less than a month because it was something that I did every day. Um, and um, it came uh, I think it was Amazon bestseller, iTunes bestseller in the first month or whatever. And um, it's old now, but it's, it's still relevant today. And, um, you know, I just kept, kept on doing my thing, uh, kept doing the lessons and the instruction and coaching. And it kind of turned into, I, I started my social media account uh, for the book. So um, the book was basically the purpose of me getting on social media. I was, you ask any of my friends, I'm, I'm flip, flip phone Johnny and um, <laughs> not knowing even how to turn on social media. And I turned into, you know, this Twitter guy that everybody knows uh, because of the book. And, um, you know, fast forward now, I've, I've learned a lot and it's taught me a lot and I'm still trying to learn to this day. So that's kind of the history. All right. Thank you, coach. For those that may not know, you have a couple real, you have a good social media following 200,000 on, on Twitter, but uh, you also have some, I think our audience can tell your sense of humor already just at our beginning here. And, uh, you know, when you talked about being a T-ball All-American and you've had some viral videos, just quick short ones, just kind of making light of the travel ball culture and youth sports and unrealistic expectations. And uh, I would encourage all of our audience to go and and see those. And we'll put a few links uh, in our show notes as well. Coach, what's your best advice for parents and coaches for setting realistic expectations for children and players? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> uh, realistic expectations is one of the biggest problems in the baseball, softball community, yeah, at least the youth levels these days. Um, and, and, you know, you can blame a whole bunch of things. You can blame, you know, you know, not getting enough instruction. You can blame too many tournaments at a young age. You can blame getting too ser- serious at a young age. You can blame a whole bunch of different things, you know? Um, but I think the realistic expectations part is something that's huge to, to parents specifically because not everybody's going to make the big leagues. Uh, it's okay to have dreams and aspirations and stuff like that. But I think, I think there's too much pressure put on kids at a young age because of that. And it's usually parental expectations more than anything else. I mean, if you think about it, you got, you know, nine, 10 year old kids that are, they're treated like big leaguers sometimes, you know? So it's like the expectation is, is they, they need to be at a certain level, but the reality says that they're not. And, and I think um, that's one of my biggest things that I preach all over social media is, is you have to, as a parent, understand like, like the process involved and understand that it takes time and and no one's going to be perfect. And, you know, you mentioned those viral videos, those viral videos are just funny things that, that came about on the spot. Um, one of them in particular, my, my friend Jose and I were out at an 11U game coaching, I think it was Jose's son, um, waiting to play a game. And we're like, hey, let's just do a video on crazy 11-year-old parents. <laughs> and literally, we turned on the video. And this is the funny part. Many people don't know this about the behind-the-scenes footage of this is the parents were literally 10 to 15 feet away from us on both sides, listening to what we were doing at the time laughing out loud hysterically as we were doing it. So it just became one of those uh, many that we've done. But I think that the reason why it's so funny is because it's true. And and the second thing is, is it's kind of sad. Like, like it's sad that 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 stuff really does happen. And we're all guilty of it. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm perfect of it. I have kids myself and we all fail on things, but I think, you know, the funny part of those is it's, it's true, right? It's like, like some, some parents like really 
have these thoughts, right? Or have these expectations. And, and a lot of it is, is dictated by the environment that they're in and, and what the coach is doing or what the coach isn't doing and, you know, the organization that they're in and what they're being fed and how much that costs versus this. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, but I think that's a, a, a good understanding of like learning that it's not, they're not big leaguers and, and you can't put specific expectations on them too young, even when they get older. I mean, by the time they get to 15, 16 years old, the kid's already played on six or seven club teams and they've had 20 different coaches telling them 20 different things. And, you know, before you know it, they're burnt out and they, they're overwhelmed mentally and then they don't have opportunities. So I just think that the, the expectational piece as far as a parent and a coach, I guess, too, has to be realistic. And a lot of times it isn't, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the funny backstory of how I came across that video, I, two years ago, we went to Cooperstown with our 12U team and my son played and it was amazing. But one of the parents actually sent that to us and we were identifying which parent is which on which team and I am game changer guy. So not, not the guy that was, that was questioning game changer. I was the one that did game changer for many years. So I was just dying at all those questions and how game changer uh, dad kept coming up in, in that video. It, it was pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think, I think Jose and I need to do a Cooperstown random thoughts video. That would be funny. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the funny thing is we had such a good time. We, uh, you know, our, our son's team went to the championship. They lost, but what an amazing week. And my wife and I actually went back a couple months later and we bought a house and we're, you know, to rent out to families that keep going there now. So, um, but this summer it's going to be tough. We'll, we'll yeah. see if we can hold on. But anyhow, um, I got sidetracked there. Uh, coach, what should parents be looking for in a program or a coach as they do navigate their, their youth sports journey? Um, well, a lot of it is just dictated by how good the kid is and, and, you know, the seriousness level, I guess, of where they want to play and the age, right? Um, at the younger ages, I think the most important thing that you're looking for in a coach is the coach going to be a good person and be a good role model for my kid. Absolutely. But so many kids are put in situations where they're getting cussed at and yelled at. And, you know, I, I've, I have younger kids, so I'm out watching a lot of baseball and the stuff that I see regularly is ridiculous. I'm talking about taking your nine-year-old out of a game in the middle of an inning because he made a bad throw and then yelling at him in the dugout, like, come on, like, it's just ridiculous. So I think the, the expectation uh, of the younger kids is, is the coach, does he care? And is he going to treat my kid with some, you know, respect? And if he ends up getting a little bit better at baseball, that's great, you know. But uh, And then on the flip side of it, you obviously want somebody that knows a little bit, but at the same time, it's very rare just so everybody listening knows that you get somebody that's really good coach and really cares about the kids at a young age. You usually get kind of one or the other, but I would say that, um, that that's one of the most important things is finding a coach that cares and that is going to be a good representation of what you want your kid to look up to as far as role model is concerned. And then as far as the organization is, is it, is it um, an organization that's just all about winning? Is it an organization that's all about, you know, showcase tournaments? Is it all, you know, you got to find out what your fit is as a family and make sure you're doing that stuff. I think kids at a young age are doing too crazy of stuff. You know, Cooper sounds a great experience for kids, but I think, I mean, it's, I went and it's a great experience, but it's like, if you don't get to go, it's not the end of the world, right? right. It's, 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 it's one of those things, but the organizational piece is, is, is important as well. Um, but I tell, I tell families all the time, it's not about what organization you're playing with. It's about who's coaching that team. And then the yeah. second part is the opportunity that you're going to have on that team. Right. 
So is it, is it an opportunity where my kid's going to get to play positions he normally doesn't play? Or is he going to be the 13th kid on a 12-man team and not really play at all? Because at the younger ages, they got to be playing. So you got to find the right fit in that aspect of it, too. It's not about just being on the best team. It's always better to be on better teams if you're a good kid because you get challenged more and you get better competition and all that. But at the same time, it goes back to the realistic expectations part of knowing what your kid needs, how good they really are, honestly. And then putting them in an environment where they can actually succeed and be successful. I'm all about working and earning your position and sitting and, and learning how to be a good teammate on the bench and all that stuff. But there's, there's, I've seen way too many scenarios and situations for young kids and families paying a ton of money and not even playing. And I'm like, why are you doing it? They're 10 years old and they're playing like one, one game every weekend out of five. Like, we gotta, you got to play more than that. The kids got to be able to learn and, and also be in an environment where they're going to be encouraged to love the game more and actually want to play the next year. So then fast forward maybe to, you know, the older kids. I say older like high school level kids, 14 and up, is like you just want to be in an environment where you're learning and being able to compete, right? So, But you just got to know that there's never going to be a perfect coach out there. You're going to have a problem with something about that coach but you just got to know that is it, is it a great environment do the parents get along is a big one are the kids working hard do they are they all on the same page as far as like work ethic and attitude is a coach holding them accountable for their expectations on the field and off the field are the parents creating drama in the stands i mean all those things are such a big deal that i think oftentimes get overlooked coach how did your experience in sports as a child help shape who you are today oh that's a good one um quite honestly i was very average athlete, I think, when I was younger. Um, you know, I think that for, for us, well, us old guys that used to play back in the day and we didn't have hitting coaches or, or, you know, no one played one sport. Everybody just did what everybody else was doing at the time. I think playing multiple sports was actually huge for the development side of things. I played soccer, unfortunately, when I was younger. Uh, I'm just kidding. Or, or fortunately. Yeah, or fortunately. <laughs> I played basketball. Um, my basketball experience was pretty funny. I was horrible at basketball. I played on the junior high team. I was the 15th kid on the team, not playing. I'd play like 20 seconds of the last quarter. Um, and then I ended up quitting basketball because I just wasn't very good. I didn't, and I didn't want to wear those short dunt to dunt shorts that they were wearing at the time. Um, so I, I didn't play my freshman year, sophomore year or junior year. And then all of a sudden just started messing around with basketball stuff. My, you know, sophomore, junior year. And my friends were like, Hey, you should go play basketball. And I'm like, make a high school team. Yeah, right. I've never even played high school ball. And I ended up making the team and starting every game. And I never really worked at it. But I thought it was a great experience. And I made the coach get long shorts that year. So that was the year where <laughs> like, the, the Fab Five, Jalen Rose and all those guys had long shorts. And I'm like, coach, I ain't playing in those John Stockton. I'm sorry. So if you get some long shorts, I'll play. But other than that, but the experience of playing multiple sports, um, I thought helped my career. And it's the same thing with baseball. Like I was I was okay baseball player growing up, but I didn't really get good until after my junior year into my senior year. It was like all of a sudden start, something started to click and I just became a better athlete and can throw harder and run faster. And it just, I didn't do anything. I didn't lift weights or anything. It just came natural. So I think that experience of um, being around, you know, different sports helped. And then just the experience of just being around your friends, you know, I think, I think that's a huge thing these days that gets kind of thrown to the wayside. If you want to call it, it's, um, you know, these kids play on different teams and all this stuff and they have a friend for like a summer, but they don't really stick together. And it's like, 
we, I mean, I remember all my buddies growing up from high school and all the team, well, the one team that we played on. Um, but it, it was just that, that team chemistry and that bond that you created and that, those friendships that you created at the time was, was also super important. What does trust the process mean? Is it overused? Um, no, I think it's, it's cliche like everything else on social media, <laughs> um, but it's true. Um, specifically the baseball side of things, it's, it is a process. And I think that process tries to get accelerated too fast at a young age. I mean, I look at my own kids right now and, you know, my boys that are playing, one of them is nine, one of them is 13. They're at totally different levels and the processes. I remember when my 13 year old was nine and it was like just trying to get him to like the game and smile. And he's more, con you know, in interested in getting pizza after the game versus did he hit a bomb. Right. right. So um, I, I think, you know, specifically in baseball, there is a, a long process and the process of de development specifically, it takes a long time is which, which people don't understand. I struggle with this just so you know, just like everybody else, I've been doing instructional stuff for 20 years almost. And I'll still get parents. They'll come up to me after a week and go, well, they just struck out on, on the weekend. I'm like, well, I struck out once, I guess, if I remember, I mean, you're going to strike out. So I think, I think the process is something that parents need to get in their mind that it's, it's, if they're learning the game and baseball is such a hard sport to play, that the process is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And, you know, another cliche, cliche is the whole, you know, you're going to fail. I can't stand that one because I don't like that attitude and that mentality. Of course, you're going to fail. You're going to fail the, you know, seven out of 10 times you're going to fail, of course, but we got to have the attitude. We're going to compete. So the failure part is important, but the process is even more important. And the process isn't just, how you swing a bat or how you play the game, it's, it's, it's character development too. And it's, it's learning how to play the game correctly, which kids don't get these days. So it's the process of just the whole package, which literally takes a lifetime. I mean, I look back at my own career, I didn't even know how to play baseball at all really until I got into college. And then in college, I'm overwhelmed because I never really was really taught much in high school. And then I get there and you're learning all this stuff and you're like, man, this is harder than I thought. And then I go to a four year after tra transferring from my junior and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy like it's just the the process of development is just like never ending so i think i think too many times we're we're trying to put college level stuff in eight and nine year olds and taking away that fun and that process out so we got to be aware of that too coach the uh, the name of our company is numbers don't lie and that that phrase uh has deep meaning for athletes can you tell us what the phrase numbers don't lie means to you well i think it's truth number one um uh, i think there's the whole bunch well i think Analytics these days are crazy, by the way. I think the, the analytical side of baseball is getting a little bit overwhelming. I think it's cool. We, it's great. We use a lot of stuff when we do training, but the numbers get way too crazy sometimes, um, which, which creates a mental mess mentally. So you got to be careful with that. But just overall numbers, if you want to call like batting averages and stuff like that, like I think it's funny where, you know, I love Steve Springer. He's a friend and he always talks about the, the batting averages of the devil and blah, blah, blah. And I agree a hundred percent. You can't have your batting average in your mind, but the reality of it is, is that matters, you know, unless your dad's doing game changer. Just, yeah. <laughs> My son knows quite well. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you hit, if you think about it, if you hit 220 in high school, you're probably not going to play college. Right? right. And so the numbers do matter in that essence, but the idea behind it is you just don't focus on the numbers and don't get consumed with the numbers because it'll make it worse when you aren't doing well. So I was the type of guy that I knew my batting average to like the number. Like if I was three for four that day, I knew my batting average went like this. I was the numbers in my head. And honestly, I think that's what actually helped me 
Like I was competing. If I was 0 for 4 one day, I'm like, I need to go 2 for 4 to get here to here to here. And it was just really good for me because it made me like focus more and compete harder. Um, but I can see how the numbers actually get overwhelming. But um, I mean, there's different numbers these days too with how fast you run and how hard you throw and exit velocities. And it, and it can get a little bit overwhelming. But I mean, numbers are based on salaries in the big leagues, if you really think about it. So it, it, it's an important thing, even though the younger ages, again, the realistic expectations. No one cares about your 12U game changer stats, just so you know. Ain't nobody looking that up. It, exactly. And, and for us, I, I agree. It gets overwhelming and it's overused, but it's those key indicators that, that help you set goals. You know, like you were saying, if you went three for – you know what your goals were for that next game. You needed to go two for three or three for four to get that batting average back up. And, yeah. Uh, we use a lot of we use hit tracks and rap soto and yeah. we don't use it like everybody else but it is a good tracking like like yeah. we use it for confidence building when a kid like my my kid in, for instance he's 9 years old so when he hits the ball like 70 miles an hour which is ridiculously good he's mad because he can know he he knows he can go 75 so it gets him to like compete harder swing more aggressive create that toughness so we use the numbers piece as a as a confidence boost, booster more than anything else when a kid hits it far, he builds confidence. When he hits it hard, when he breaks a record, he feels confidence. He's happy when he leaves, and then it translates into the game. Coach, uh, you're a social media superstar now, and, and w whether you wanted to or not, uh, your, your popularity grew on Twitter. You have over 210,000 followers. Um, how can young athletes best utilize their social media in their sports journey? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I think you, there's there's right ways to do it and there's wrong ways to do it. And, and just the first thing is just so, you know, people are watching. I mean, especially if you're a recruitable type of player, you know, the it's one thing. I, I mean, I don't coach college, but if I'm looking at somebody, I do it all the time. I'm looking at a specific kid. I'll go straight to their social media platform and kind of see what they post. When we hire somebody at Rio Athletics, I'm, I'm going to their social media to see what they're posting, what type of person they really are, because it will it will show the true colors. So it could be detrimental in the fact of if you're posting stupid stuff and you're showing who you really are off the field, that's not good. Um, it can also be detrimental in a couple other ways. I mean, being a little bit overwhelming sometimes is, is tough as well. If you're, you know, posting something every day about, you know, I did this and I did that. So just post stuff, have fun. Hey, I went two for four this weekend. Here's a double, whatever. Um, you can use it as a recruiting thing. You can send it to coaches or, or schools that you're interested in. Um, so it can be helpful, but it also can be detrimental. It's all just basically what you make it. But I will say this, clean it up because you could literally, it could literally cost you thousands of dollars if you don't clean it up and you're a potential prospect or, uh, you know, college type of kid. Absolutely. And today, actually, on your Twitter feed, we retweeted something. And uh, I, that's actually how we got connected today. But you spoke on um, parents and coaches the, during the recruitment process. They're just as vulnerable with their social media as well. Uh oh, did I say parents are just as detrimental? I think the tweet was. It's so true. I, I mean, you know, any coach any coach, I don't care if you're coaching nine-year-olds or pro ball, like no coach wants to deal with parents. You know what I mean? It's or problematic parents, let's say mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty relational. I love our parents and we, we have relationships and we chat and we communicate. And if there's ever a problem, we handle it like adults and we, we, we move on. But, um, 
I think a lot of times the, the overbearing parent is what I was trying to get to with that specific tweet is the one that's, you know, posting game changer stats every day and, you know, just every day just doing something or, you know, the, the other parent, like you mentioned earlier, is the, the drama parent that's creating drama and gossip. And, you know, a lot of it's unintentional. You know, someone's over here and go, oh, do you hear that Johnny's going to this showcase and you better do it or else. And then before you know it, it's, it's, it's all this bad information being spread all over the place. So, I would agree um, to the fact that um, parents have a bigger role in their kids' recruitment than they know. And, and it's just – you can get a, a good feel of kind of how the parent reacts to things and, and stuff like that. But as far as me and, and what I do, like I want an environment in my program that's going to be respectful, that's going to have integrity, that's going to have some character. It's okay to get fired up. Like it's okay to be fired up about something, but it's also not okay to be an idiot. And it's not okay to, to represent the program in a way that you don't want to represent it. So, you know, there's old school coaches. One of my coaches, well, the best coach I ever had was named Ed Chef, and he was crazy. He was literally a tyrant of a coach. Like I'm talking slapping you in the face you know, just crazy stuff. And he, there's no way he could have done that these days. And the culture today is a little bit different. Like he could care less about <laughs> who your parent was. He, he was going to teach you and stuff like that. But nowadays it's like you got college coaches getting phone calls from parents about why are they not playing or why are they this and why are they that? And it's just, that was the whole purpose of that tweet is just to be aware that you have an influence as well. And coaches, believe it or not, they care about how involved those parents are going to be. Are you that parent that's videoing every at bat and the kid goes back to the dugout looking at you and, or you can you just kind of let them play and enjoy the ride? So uh, I didn't want to get too overwhelmed with the tweet, but that was the whole point of it is just to be aware of your influence as well. No, it was really good. Uh, Coach, uh, what role do highlight or skills videos play in the sports journey? And as the athlete gets into high school, the recruitment process as well, the, what role does video play? Sometimes it plays a huge role. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, especially with the scenario like we have right now, it's probably playing a bigger role now than it did six months ago. So, you know, the coaches can't get out and travel and see people. So they got to, they got to do it by video now. So I think it's actually going to change a little bit more, but at the same time, um, how do, how do I say this nicely? I think how you look on a video is not going to be how you play in a game sometimes. So uh, the coaches that do this, regularly and they're and they have the kind of the cream of the crop to choose from they're not going to base a decision on a video i wouldn't i mean i see kids send me videos all the time and i watch them hit off a front toss and i'm like oh that looks pretty good and then you get them in a game and they can't hit right so there's there's different scenarios and stuff but i will say it's helpful uh, in some ways but i will also say this it's something these days that you can do easily on your own yep. you can you can you can video you know on your iphone these days and have you know 4k on your on your iphone you can edit it you can take things out you can add it to your youtube channel so there's there's a whole bunch of things you can do on your own that's super easy um but as as far as like coaches it's good if, if a coach can't go see you but it's also not going to dictate everything um I've, I've talked to a bunch of d1 coaches that i'm friends with uh, all over the country and they'll, they'll the video will be like oh yeah that looks okay but i want to see them play i want to see how they handle anxiety, handle pressure. I want to see how they get out and do they hustle back to the dugout. I want to see how they act on defense after they strike out. You know, there's a whole bunch of other factors that play into this whole recruitment process is bigger than just the way you look in a video. Cause a lot of the video stuff can be, you know, it can make you look better than you actually are. So, right. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good entry getting your foot in the door, but you still got to, there's a lot of different aspects in the recruiting and you got to prove yourself through your work and, and on the field as well. 
Absolutely. I, I agree. And um, there's, there's just more to be said. Once you get to the college level, it doesn't matter if it's D2, D3. Once you get to the college level, everyone's good. And there's a whole different level of competition and competing and strength and size. I mean, uh, it's, it's not about, you know, how you look in a video. It's, it's do you compete? Are you a good teammate? You work hard. You know, can you adapt to what the system is? All that stuff. There's much more that goes into it for sure. Okay, coach, we're down to our final rapid fire question. So I'm going to start. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? I've ever received. Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't want to say the cliche lead by example, but, but show, show people versus tell people. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I, I've received. And I say that again too. I don't want to hear how good you are. I want to see how good you are, you know, so go, go and show it. Who's your favorite athlete and why? Oh my goodness. Um, I really don't have favorites. The funny thing is I just like watching the game. I get asked that a lot. Who's your favorite team? Um, I, I have favorite people, I guess. I like the Tim Tebow type people that have good character and integrity. Um, I'm a Laker fan, so I didn't like LeBron, but now I kind of like LeBron type of thing, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I just have, I have people that I like to watch. I love watching Mike Trout play. I just, he plays the game hard. I just love anybody that plays the game with some passion and some, you know, just some grit and toughness. It's just kind of the old school mindset that I have. I love those dirtbag players that, want to break up double plays head first and go after the ball all over the place. So I don't have a specific favorite, but I, but I will say I just like watching those guys that, that play tough. Okay. I'm going to rephrase this one. Cause it's also a favorite question. All right. Uh, what, who's a coach in your life that you admire and why? Oh, without a doubt, the most influential coach was Ed Chef at Lewis Clark State. I hated him when I played there. I'm not going to lie. Like, hated him with the passion, and I wasn't the only one. But looking back, a lot of the stuff that he instilled in me, I needed at the time. I was a punk little kid, thought I was vanilla ice, thought I was a little gangster, but I wasn't very tough. And I needed some toughness in my life, and I never had anybody really challenge me the way he did. And um, looking back, it was like the best thing ever for me. I didn't. I didn't like getting F-bombed every day and telling, telling me how bad I was at baseball, but I, I truly kind of needed that. I needed the, that, that, like, you're not that good type of mentality, and you need to work harder. And it, it, the intent behind it was to make us better. And obviously we use a lot of the same stuff that, that we learned at Lewis Clark State. I just do it more in a Jesus-loving way these days and try not to demean kids uh, right. because I know how that felt too as well. But we, when I learned a lot from him, from him. In fact, most of that book that I wrote was based on the mental toughness stuff that I learned there. And I think a, it's what's missing ma mainly in, in hitting today is just that mental compete, that mental toughness that I'm just better than you. Throw me my pitch and see what happens versus kids these days are taught that, you know, their swing has to look a certain way or they can't compete, which is important in its own line. But I, I just think that that was the most important thing that I learned from him. And, and he taught a lot. I mean, he taught, sometimes he wouldn't say anything. He would just literally shake his head and give you that stare. Like, dude, I'm going to punch you. But sometimes he would teach you like, let's go. Like you need to do this. And I learned a lot about like understanding situations and how to read pictures and, and what the umpire strike zone was and how to, you know, just little things that were like mind blowing to me at the time. Um, so he was definitely the most influential coach that I've ever played for at the time. I wouldn't have said that, but you know, however long ago that was uh, a long time ago, 20 years, something, um, 
looking back, it was what I needed. And quite honestly, I stole almost everything from him. Just I try to be nicer about it. <laughs> Coach, where can people follow you and find out more uh, about everything you're doing? Um, Twitter's Troy P. Silva. I, I'm starting to build a YouTube thing. I have all these videos that I've done that honestly no one ever saw. So I'm like, I'm going to start putting these things on YouTube. So go to my YouTube account and subscribe and turn on your notifications there. I'm going to be doing a lot more um, notification stuff there for, for videos on YouTube. Uh, we have our baseball family podcast that we do, which is sponsored by Baseballism. And, um, and then I'm getting into our, a new thing that I'm doing with my family kind of introducing people to the Silva family and what we do on a regular basis, which is pretty cool. I enjoy doing that, kind of letting the, the fans and the people get to know me as a person, not just a baseball coach, and, and kind of dive into the life of what we do. So I'm going to be doing probably every other week or every week a, a Silva family video blog that will be posted on YouTube as well. Um, so that'll be that's a big one that I'm, I'm excited to do. All the other stuff is just stuff that I do every every day, so it's kind of boring in my opinion, but – um, I'm excited for the Silva family blog to get to know the real Troy and the real Silva family to me is going to be awesome. Perfect. And we'll put links to all that stuff. We're going to be following for sure. And, uh, that's it. That's a wrap. We, we want to thank you very much for joining us today. I know it was on short notice, but, uh, I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you having me on uh, the short notice, but, um, through this time, just know God is good and we'll all get back. Absolutely. Thank you, coach. All right. Thank you. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of highlighting the best of youth sports. Be sure and subscribe and please help us reach more people by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you or someone you know are interested in learning more about Numbers Don't Lie and what we do, what programs and services we offer for athletes, and how to get your athlete involved, be sure to visit numbersdontlie.biz. Until our next episode, go out and win the day and never miss your opportunity to be great. Thanks for listening to highlighting the best of youth sports.